Go to Exodus chapter 28, and then again, I'm going to read Isaiah 10. Tonight, we want to teach on the anointing. Isaiah 28, beginning with verse 40. And for Aaron's sons, thou shalt make coats, thou shalt make for them girdles, bonnets, shalt thou make for them for glory and beauty. Thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, and shalt anoint them, and consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness, from the loins even unto the thighs they shall reach. They shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons when they come into the tabernacle of the congregation or when they come near unto the altar to minister in the holy place that they bear not iniquity and die. It shall be a statue forever unto him and his seed after him. Verse 41 again. And shalt anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them that they may minister to me. In the priest's office. Isaiah chapter 10. Verse number 27. And it shall come to pass in that day. That his burden shall be taken away from off. Thy shoulder. And his yoke from off thy neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed. Because of the anointing, because of the anointing, because of the anointing. Say that with me. Because of the anointing. This is what the prophet Isaiah said. Here's the reason, here's the cause of the destruction of any kind of yoke that keeps us in bondage. Isaiah the prophet said, because of the anointing. Now in Isaiah, he's dealing with a nation that's needing deliverance. And this is why God brings this encouraging word to them in chapter 10. But when we go back to the beginning in the book of Exodus there, one of the things we want to remember is this is the book about Israel's exit from Egypt. God delivered them from bondage unto liberty. He took them out of slavery into freedom. Once he delivered them from their enslavement to the Egyptians, he brought them into the wilderness and told them to establish a tabernacle. He gave them specific details about what the coverings should look like. He told them about every item of furniture, how he wanted it made. He then moved to speak about the priests. He said, I want the priests to have a certain kind of garment to be placed upon them. This is what chapter 28 is all about. There were certain people that he anointed, according to verse 3, and they were wise-hearted to sew and to stitch these things in Exodus 28. The priest was to wear a certain breastplate, and each stone in the plate representing one of the tribes of Israel. The scripture says these garments were to be of different colors for glory and for beauty. But it's very important to recognize that at the end of the chapter, in verse 41, even though they were to put on all of these beautiful clothes and stand out amongst the people, 
to the point that you would have recognized a priest, no matter where he was and no matter which tribe he was standing with, their ministry did not commence until they were anointed. That is to say that somebody could have put on all of the apparel, dressed in all of the garments that had been made, but until they were anointed by God, they were not to enter the tabernacle precinct, lest they end up in trouble. Now, the topic of the anointing brings to mind many different things. Oftentimes, we hear people say, he or she is anointed to teach that subject. Very often, what we mean by that is, we like the way he or she ministers that. Because if somebody taught something that was true to Scripture, but was dealing with inward sin, and the problems of iniquity in our own life. Maybe we wouldn't be so thrilled about that to the point that we would say he or she is anointed. Our conception of the anointing is tied to what we like about a minister very often. We, we like his swagger. We like the way she floats about on the stage. We enjoy the way that they whisper into the microphone and the voice goes up and down in the way they lay hands on people. Then we say, oh my, what an anointing. All of that is style. Charisma has nothing to do at all with anointing. The priest who labored for God were to be anointed with a special oil. A blend that had to be made specifically according to a recipe that God provided in Scripture. No different than the incense that had to be compounded and then placed there in the tent. It had to be oil that was placed upon the priest as a symbol of the presence of God. So our image should be formed by scripture when we think of the anointing. In the scripture is mentioned in connection with consecration and sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is when someone is set apart from one thing but set apart unto something entirely different. Sanctification has to do with a progressive kind of holiness. It also has to do with being instantly made holy. You come out of sin and enter into Christianity. The Bible says we're translated from darkness into light. Sanctification begins when you're born again. As you grow in grace and in knowledge, God gives you truth that helps you discern good from bad, correct from incorrect. In the process of discernment, which changes your habits and your customs as you continue to grow in grace and in knowledge, that is continual sanctification. However we want to describe it, it's sanctification. God is setting you apart from certain things and setting you unto certain things. I can put it this way. As a Christian, I'm sure there are things now, specific things that you can look back over your life and you'll realize that you no longer do today maybe didn't bother you so much when you first became a Christian. And you probably can remember the day you accepted the Lord, if you can remember that day. You can put a finger on the very things that you walked away from, and it no longer had a hold on you, because the Lord sets you free. That's part of sanctification. Consecration is when an item or a person is dedicated, and then devoted to God in a special way. 
The Hebrew word has to do with supplying a vessel or a person with purpose. To consecrate someone is to add purpose to their life. So we take someone who, like Steve, is a potter. If he has in his mind already what it is that he wants to make, then he takes the clay and begins to form it on the wheel. But he already has an idea of what he wants. So if what he wants to make is a cup, then he's going to use his hand and other utensils to fashion a cup there on that wheel or however he does it. But since that is what he desires to make, the purpose will be molded into how the cup is made. The cup won't be made to use as a plate. A fork can't be used as some kind of a drinking vessel. So the purpose is inherent, inherent in the vessel. When you consider your life, remember that from the moment you were conceived and came into this world, God had a purpose for your life. And that purpose is directly tied to your conception. So that God already had fashioned everything from your personality traits to the color of your eyes. All of that is in the seed. God simply wants people to have their eyes open to that. The priests had a purpose. That was to minister. And this ordination that they went through was important in putting them in place to be obedient to God. I still remember the 19-year-old boy being ordained. And all them preachers gathered in that church in Jacksonville, North Carolina. My parents even made the drive all the way down from Ohio to be there in that meeting. Some of my friends from the military were there. A whole lot of preachers stacked or packed out that church. At the end of the message, the man of God had preached, a man named Reverend Green. I'd asked him to preach my ordination service. They brought all of these preachers down, had me in the middle, and a man by the name of W.K. Rayner. He lifted up those old gnarled hands of his, and he laid them on my head, and in front of all those people in that congregation with their hands stretched forth toward me, he prayed and said, Lord, we consecrate and ordain this young man to the gospel ministry, and we pray that you use him, and so on and so on. But somewhere along the line in there, he said, and if he ever ceases to preach the gospel the way that he ought to, Lord, kill him. Oh, my Lord. Well, you know, somebody say something like that. You move out from under their hand. You know. But the one thing you realize is that they were saying to me, this is nothing to play with. If you're going to get up behind a pulpit and tell people about God. If you're going to pick this book up, don't handle it deceit. Preach the truth, declare the word of God, don't modify it. It doesn't need to be changed. The word of God is like a lion. You just open up the cage and let the lion out. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to tame it. Just let God be God when he's dealing with the congregation. Minister the word of God and the spirit of God will help everybody to hear it in the condition in which they're living. So the priests then, having been anointed by God, they were essentially passive. I mean, they, they weren't aggressive people that are going out fighting Canaanites. They weren't leading people into war. Their ministry was to work at the altar, minister in the tent, handle the blood and the sacrifices. They weren't out there wrestling with Canaanites and other people. They were giving themselves wholly to God. 
Now this applies to any of us who today are priests unto the Lord. Revelation chapter 1 says we've been made kings and priests unto God. That means the anointing is no longer applied strictly on gender lines. In the Old Testament, only a man could be a priest. But in the New Covenant, men and women, boys and girls become priests. All of us are anointed by the Lord himself. It's important to know that. In the Old Testament, the people ministered in the tabernacle. In the New Testament, we are the tabernacle corporately. Your body is the temple individually. When we come together, it's not to offer up a lamb. It's not to take the life of a turtle dove. But you do minister something to God that he desires. And that is called a sacrifice of praise. Every day, the believer is dying to self. Dying to self-will. Crucifying himself according to the word of God. In order to worship a, a savior that is wonderful and amazing. A sacrifice of praise from the anointed people. So then the scripture tells us that there are several people throughout the word of God that have been anointed. Judges 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 10, it tells us of Othniel. The spirit of the Lord came upon him and he went to war. He was a mighty man of God, delivered the children of Israel. Chapter 6 of Judges, verse 34, Gideon, the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and it said he blew the trumpet, letting people know it's time to battle. Judges 11, verse 29, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and Jephthah led the people out to war, and he was a mighty deliverer. Different individuals, but yet the anointing to govern, the anointing to lead was there to help them as they went to battle physically. But then they got into the promised land. God gave them a king. 1 Samuel 10, verse 1, Samuel walked up to Saul, poured the oil upon him, and kissed him said, this is the anointed of God. Everybody recognized that from that moment forward, the presence of the Lord came upon Saul. He was touched by God. That's what the scripture says. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, Saul fell into disfavor with the Lord, so Samuel was sent by God to David, one of Jesse's sons, pour the oil upon him and said, this is the Lord's anointed. People recognized from that moment forward, God came upon David. David was anointed in the very next chapter he had to fight Goliath, which teaches us very clearly that with the anointing, you can expect battle, expect warfare, expect challenges and trials, expect the adversary to come against you. The moment the Lord puts his hand upon you and the favor of the Lord begins to bless you. First Kings chapter one, when David was dying, Solomon was called his mother in Nathan and them, the prophets and everybody, they grabbed him, put him on daddy's donkey, had some people running in front of him, took him to a certain lo location, and they anointed him with oil, and the people were blowing trumpets, and they were saying, this is the anointed one of God, David's son, Solomon. Everybody knew Solomon was anointed to reign. Now, you do need to know this. If the true anointing represents the presence of God and the favor of God, then certainly there has to be a false anointing. It has to be people falsely appointed to try to do the things of God. Let's not forget, Scripture says of Absalom, that this gentleman, he tried to take over his father's kingdom. He had his dad on the run. The Bible is very plain. In 2 Samuel 16, it says that while he was on the run, he sought counsel from Ahithophel, very wise man. 
But they had prayed that God would turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. Absalom said, what should I do to demonstrate to the children of Israel that I am king and in charge? They said, well, what you ought to do is take all of your father's concubines and sleep with every one of them. Then people will know that you have secured the throne in Israel. Well, that's exactly what he did. He put a tent up on the top of the palace so that all the people living in the valley and on the other mountains would be able to see it. They probably had candles and lanterns and had the thing lit up. And one by one, the scripture says, I believe somewhere around verse verse 29 or 21 or something like that. It says that all of these concubines came in there. He lay with every single one of them. You see what that false anointing does? Exalts itself. Fornicates with things that are committed to the one who is anointed of God. This generation here, we serve and we worship the son of David, but nevertheless, it's possible for people to be so deceived that they exalt themselves and they begin to abuse the very things that are dedicated to God, somehow connected to the son of David. Don't forget Adonijah. Scripture says of Adonijah that He also was one of David's sons. He exalted himself, tried to take over the throne, got his own priest, had his own runners that went and declared he was in charge and he was blowing trumpets and sitting down feasting when he discovered that his brother Solomon had been chosen by David to be king. Wherever you find people that exalt themselves and begin to prepare their own celebrants to worship them and adore them, And pack it out in front of people so that they're praised by folks. I can tell you right now, there will be people that are falsely anointed. Unbelievers in pulpits today who substitute good works for spiritual power. They don't have the anointing of God. Paul said that'll be one of the signs of the last days. Denying the power of God. Denying true holiness and godliness. When you hear a preacher say that I don't believe Jesus is God, that he was born of a virgin, that he died on the cross for our sins, that our sins were laid upon him, that he was raised from the dead, that one day he'll judge us. It doesn't matter if he has 10,000, 1,000, or 10 people. It's a false anointing. It doesn't matter how many people applaud, how many people clap, and they say, oh, my, he dresses so nice. He's so, he's so caring. It's still a false anointing. Even the prophets of Baal, when they weren't up there on that temple or up there on that mountaintop cutting themselves and calling on Baal, I'm sure they could hug little children and kiss babies and help people that were in need. But a false anointing ordained by someone that's not called of the Lord. Elijah anointed Elisha as well as Jehu. Now, you've got to see from Scripture that the anointing gets bigger and bigger. It started in a tent with some priests. Pretty soon, it was upon the the judges and people that were going out to war, and it gets bigger and bigger. Pretty soon, it's a king on the throne that's anointed by God. It doesn't get smaller. It increases. By the time we reach the New Testament, it says of Jesus in Luke chapter 3, he's out in the waters being baptized, and it said the Spirit of the Lord descended from heaven like a dove. That's his anointing. After he was anointed, he came out of the waters. Luke chapter 4 says he went into the wilderness and was tempted by the devil. Forty days. Imagine that. The devil came to him and said, look, if you're really God, 
Take that rock over there. Turn that into some muffins. You know, make some bread out of that. Oh, the Lord said, you, you shouldn't be tempting me. I'm, I'm God. I don't have to demonstrate any power to you. Who are you? Oh, the devil said, oh, I've got something better than that. Said, let's go up to the top of that hill over there. Went up there and looked out there. The devil said, all these kingdoms out here, look how beautiful it is. Do you know how many people in this world would love to have an opportunity to have these powerful kingdoms under their dominion? I'll give it to you. All you have to do, Jesus, is bow down and worship me. There are a lot of people who sold their soul to the devil. Jesus wasn't one of them. Jesus said to that devil, get behind me. You ought not be tempting God. The devil said, I've got more. He said, look, I'm telling you at the top of that hill, if you, if you just jump off the temple edge there, he said, I promise you there'll be some angels that'll pick you up. That is what the scripture says. So go ahead, Jesus, take a flying leap, and let me see if you can just hang glide all the way down to the ground. Jesus didn't do it at all. Jesus demonstrated to us when the adversary comes, he himself will bring temptation with him, but we have the ability to say, get behind me. Get behind me. Because he endured that, Luke chapter 4 says, he returned it to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He walked into that synagogue, read the scripture, quoting Isaiah. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. Preach the gospel to the poor. Open the eyes of the blind. The anointing in his life was powerful. It wasn't to throw off the yoke of Rome. Under the old covenant, that anointing came upon Othniel, Gideon, and Jephthah to throw off the, the yoke of the Moabites. But when Jesus came along, something different was taking place. It was, wasn't to be used to fight the Romans. Jesus cast out devils. You don't find that in the Old Testament. Jesus walked on water. You don't find that in the Old Testament. Different kinds of miracles were taking place. The scripture says that Jesus opened the eyes of the blind. And people said, oh my word, from the beginning of the world, from the foundation of the earth, it's never been seen. That somebody blind had their eyes open. It is because the anointing for Jesus to preach and to heal and to bring freedom is where the ministry of the anointing is at right now in the body of Christ because we're connected with him. So all over the earth, we see this yet taking place. Bastrop, Louisiana, January 1954, W.V. Grant was down there holding a meeting. Not Junior, who's running around America, but the father, W.V. Grant. Listen to what the clippings from the newspapers say. We just closed one of the greatest revivals we've ever had in Bastrop. Evangelists and Mrs. W.V. Grant were here. Many have called these services the greatest spiritual outpouring the town of Bastrop has ever witnessed. Large crowds attended every night. Several nights the building was packed out with many standing. Some went home because they could not get into the building. Many were filled with the Holy Spirit. During the third week, 172 was the actual count. They stood testifying that they had been filled with the Holy Spirit during this meeting. There were many others also who could give the same testimony. 
who were working and unable to come each night. We rejoiced to see our prayer rooms filled nightly with hungry seekers. We saw people healed of all manner of disease, delivered from blindness, deafness, arthritis. Brother Grant simply prayed for them. An outstanding deliverance, we recall, was when a 69-year-old man had his sight restored to a blind eye, which had been burned out by gunpowder when he was 12 years old. For 57 years, he'd been blind in that eye. He was so instantly and completely healed when Brother Grant prayed for him that he now forgets which was his good eye. A lady whose vision in one eye had been marred for over 50 years by a growth had her sight completely restored also when Evangelist Grant prayed for her. A boy born deaf now hears clearly. A six-year-old boy was delivered from polio and discarded his brace. Everyone witnessed his walking and running up and down the ten aisles. A six-year-old boy who had been born with a deformed ear with no opening in his head, according to the physician's reports, was healed and enabled to hear for the first time out of the previously deformed ear. Most important to me is that the revival continues in our church Many people are seeking the Lord in ever, every service. A number have been saved and filled with the Holy Spirit since the revival. Fifty-nine were recently baptized in water and joined our churches. See, folks, the anointing today isn't to go out and fight your neighbor and to fight other people. It's to set the captive free. Minister to people in the name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. What a powerful name is the name of Jesus. So Jesus came and lived on this earth, set the captive free, died, was resurrected, went to heaven, sent the Spirit of God back to planet earth to dwell inside of the church. This is why Peter could stand up in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, and he could say about how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Several things Paul knew, or Peter knew. Peter knew, number one, that God was the source of the anointing. Any power, any touch, any favor, any great grace or special grace that comes upon you at any time in your life as you're witnessing to people or ministering to people, it's God. Give him the glory. It's never you. It's always God. Scripture says they shall lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. Expect to lay hands on people. Expect people to recover in the name of the Lord Jesus. Peter also knew that the anointing was the Holy Ghost in power. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost. He's the anointing. You don't have to chase behind any man or woman to get some special touch from them. You simply need the touch of God. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. Peter knew thirdly that, that the anointing was for helping other people. It's not about making a great name for you. It's not about starting revival just in your house. It's about blessing and encouraging those that are in need of a blessing from the Lord. Folks that are hurting, folks that are broken, wounded spirits. They need to know who God is. Imagine this world and what would happen in this world if more people in the church understood that they were anointed to do the work of God. Think about that. Places across this earth would be turned upside down. Thayer County would never be the same again if God ever showed up in power in us, in this church, in Christians all over this town like he did in that first century church. The same spirit that crucified Jesus would try to kill us too. You understand that? 
There's something about that anointing. It brings conspiracies to kill. It brings jealousy. It brings animosity and hostility along with people leaping and shouting and praising God as the blessing of the Lord falls. It brings all of that. See? As there's an outpouring that takes place, persecution comes with it. This man knew that the anointing was for helping people. I still recall some 25, 26 years ago in Saudi Arabia when we were preaching in these underground churches. God gave us a move of God there. That I don't think any other preacher that I knew of had ever seen like that. Those underground churches, I was laying hands on people from Iran, people that were Filipino, Sudanese people, folks that were Pakistani. God was filling them with the Holy Spirit. Some of them in the services I'd minister in that underground church in a home, standing in a living room, people would jump up and want to get saved before I ever even got to the end of the message. Just come running, throw themselves down on their knees at my feet, saying, pray for me, wanting to become Christian. God was doing something. And this was within one hour or so of a drive to Mecca where people were worshiping in Islam all the time. It was everywhere. But yet the touch of God was on what we were doing. I'll never forget the meeting for Easter that I put together. Easter 1992. Had all of these people from the underground church invited them to come and be a part of it. Had a friend of mine minister. Had another friend of mine did the praise and worship. He got to the end of his message. and He called for people to be prayed for. There were a lot of folks came down and they were stirred up by what he said. But I'll never forget that woman brought down that child that was deaf in front of everybody. People knew that child was deaf. Oh my goodness, how in the world is he going to handle this? In front of all of those people in that underground church, many of these people were cessationists, didn't even believe in miracles, praying for the sick. My friend Tony brought that little child down in front of everybody and lay, stuck his fingers right in that child's ear and rebuked that deaf spirit and said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. I watched that little kid's eyes light up as began to hear and started screaming. That place, it was pandemonium in that place simply because of what God did. That's what I saw. That's not what I heard. That's what I saw. What God does. The anointing of the Lord was on his life. You say, what about him was so special? I don't know that there was anything special about him, but I do know this. Every year, he'd go on a 40-day fast. Wouldn't eat anything. 40 days. And that meeting that he preached, he'd just come to the end of that 40-day fast. He was right on about 38 or 39 when that happened. And God showed up. In a remarkable way. Peter also knew in the fourth place that the anointee carries a sense of God's presence with him. That's why Peter could walk down the street in the shadow that came from him. People would be healed just by being near him. You see, that anointing was strong. And it's something that God does in everybody in a different way. He ministers through you differently than he ministers through somebody else. Read the book of Judges. Gideon was not like Samson, though they all had the Spirit of God come upon them. Samson was different from Deborah, though the Spirit of God came upon him. God uses us differently. You have gifts. You have talents. He uses your personality and the things that are in your life in such a way to, you, to minister through you where you are. But you do need to know that your calling is to destroy yokes, to break the bondage that may be upon a person. 
So the times when my wife and I have held meetings and we've seen God just really help a whole lot of people. We know it's never, ever about us. It's always about God. When them poor little people listen on the radio and then sometimes drive five, six hours just to have somebody lay hands on them in the parking lot. They, they make that drive because they honestly believe there's something going on in that preacher's life and they believe it'll bless them. When we have prayed for the sick in different places and, and, and seen God move remarkably, it, it's, it's always astonished me at the stories and the testimonies that people give. The time Tiff and I were holding a revival in a Methodist church, we were in two Methodist churches during, during one week out, out west. I spent two or three nights in one, then two or three nights in the other, but it was a combined thing. They all were coming back and forth. But in that, that meeting, I was staying with somebody that was going to have surgery the following, at the end of the meeting, because they had all of these terrible gallstones inside of them. Uh, I don't know what all was, what was going on, but I know they had to go in there and cut the person up and open them up, and they have to remove all of this stuff. This person was in so much pain that when I stayed there in the house with them, all they did was moan. Just hardly could move. But every night in that Methodist church, I'd preach the gospel. And then I'd give that altar call, and I'd watch them older people come down and get in that altar on their knees and weep and cry. They'd say to me afterwards, oh, my Lord, it's been 40 years since we've been in a meeting like this where we're down here talking to God. That final night, we anointed people with oil. They brought that man that I was staying with. We anointed him with oil. Well, that next morning, I got up and left, came back to Red Cloud. I barely even got in the garage good that pastor she'd been calling she's trying to get in touch with me to give me a testimony I finally got her on that telephone she was hysterical never could hardly calm her down she said you, you you prayed for that man laid hands on him anointed him with oil <clears throat> said this morning he's supposed to go in there for that surgery but he called me because he had to be in there before 7 a.m. or so and he he wanted me to go with him to the doctor when he had to have that operation he said, when we got there to the hospital, she said he demanded that they take another x-ray. She said, I'm not getting on any table. Nobody's going to cut me open until you do another x-ray. He said, we've already taken x-rays. We've got to get in there and cut all that stuff out. Well, they obviously knew there was something different about him because he wasn't moaning and acting like he was in pain. But they took that x-ray, didn't find a stone in him at all. Totally healed by the power of God. See, Totally healed. When, when God is at work, there's no way the devil can stop him. See? Isaiah, he said, the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. What do you think would happen if you laid hands on somebody this week in that grocery aisle, in that bank? Rather than you saying, you know what, I'll take that prayer request and we'll mention it in church on Sunday. What if you said, you know what, I'm going to be instant in prayer. Let's go ahead and pray right now. Grab their hands. Say, let's pray. Put your hands on that shoulder. Say, oh, God, here's a brother, here's a sister in need. Bless them, touch them. What would happen if the power of God was such in this church as people drove by, they saw flames on top of the building? What if the living water could flow out of here in such a way that when, when you see cars driving down the street, people be under conviction, just weeping and crying behind the wheel. Go down on Main Street, find people falling on their faces on the sidewalk because they're hungry for God and they're under conviction. 
I think sometimes we, we get what we believe for. You don't believe for anything, you don't get anything. But if we really do believe we have the answer, and we do, then lives can be changed. The last thing I'll say to you is this. We look at the people in the Bible and we see them as heroes. We see them as people with halos over their head. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 21 makes it very plain that he that establishes us and anoints us is God. All of us are anointed by God. All of us. There's not a one of us that's missed. If we're born again, sin has been washed in that blood. That's setting aside the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm just talking about anointed by God. God is spiritually taking his finger, daub that oil on your head, or pour that horn of oil over your spiritual life so that you now are ready to do the will of God, to minister as a priest for God. What are you going to do with the anointing? Are you going to use it? Or are you going to lose it? But you have to do something. You let God have his way. There's no reason lives can't be changed. My goodness, think about that. So it doesn't matter what the illness is. He's greater than cancer, isn't he, Sister Lorraine? Greater than cancer. He's greater than anything we can ever face because we know we have a God that has given us his word. We stand on that word. We have every expectation. Can you imagine what kind of a doctor B would be if at the same time that he's ministering to people's physical needs, maybe somewhere in that background, in that office, a little gospel music playing, one of them patients say, could you tell me a little bit about that you're listening to? He said, oh, not only that, I'll pray for you. If you'd like me to pray for you, as I'm cutting you open. And God, by his power, ministers to a whole lot of people. I think if I, if I was a, a doctor and I was in a hospital, one of the things I probably would love to do would be to witness to people who are laying there in that bed and just to be able to tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Sometimes I get on that airplane, you know, I've got a lot of occupations. and People that sit next to me, they say, what do you do? Oh, I say I sow seed, I'm a farmer. I tell them about what I do. Oh, sometimes they ask, what do you do? I say, well, my dad's kind of wealthy, owns a, owns a lot of cattle, do a little ranching. Well, what do you do? Oh, well, I'm a physician's assistant. Been doing it for a long time, helping people, blessing people. You'd be surprised how many, how many odd looks people give you when they finally find out you're a pastor of a church. Come on, let's stand. You're anointed, folks. You're anointed. Anointed to set the captive free. Anointed to deliver people. Amen. Isn't it good to be a priest of the Most High God? Wow. A king and a queen. Sons and daughters of the Lord. Let's lift them hands toward God. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you, Lord, that we're your children and you care so much for us. With these hands, Lord, we pray that when we lay them on people, that 
there would be a special grace in manifestation. Let your power come upon those that we're talking to. The young people when they're in school, Lord, walking up and down the hallways, even if they come up behind or beside someone, Lord, and put their arms around them, we pray the conviction would come upon them. That God, you deal with their hearts. For the other ones, Lord, when they're on their jobs every day, we pray, God, that you give them the opportunity to open up their mouths and to begin to, to witness. And Lord, let your words be heavy coming out of their lips, entering into the ears of those that are listening. Let there be deep conviction. Father, we ask you to stretch forth your hands to do miracles, signs, and wonders on our behalf. The kinds of miracles that leave us scratching our heads in wonderment at how amazing you are, Lord. Lord, we glorify you tonight and thank you. Jesus' mighty name and everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen.